So if I haven't met you, nice to see you. I think I recognize most everybody, though. I'd like to, to also invite the ushers. Yes, thank you. See, they already know I would forget, and so they just do it. I appreciate that. Thank you guys so much for your, your faithfulness and giving. So uh, today we're going to go through a chapter in uh, Luke. We're going to go through Luke 7, actually. This is where we're, we're going uh, book by book, uh, chapter on chapter through youth. So this is just where we happen to be today in our youth group, which makes it makes it uh, awesome. So we'll, we'll pick it back up. Uh, I'm going to start with just a recap, and this is probably a little bit for my youth because you guys didn't hear the last message before this, which is the first part of Luke chapter 7, but we'll go through a couple things and, uh, and highlight some key things I want to point out from our last time uh, that we went through Luke chapter 7, specifically the first part of it. So let's take some time to pray if you would. And if you don't have a Bible uh, just with a show of hands, you can just stick your hand up and we have a Bible we'd love to bless you with. Um, we certainly have some back. So if you need a Bible, please let one of the ushers know and they'll, uh, they'll take care of you. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and just thank you so much for this time together, Lord. This, the freedom to gather in a place where we can worship uh, without fear of persecution. Certainly not persecution like other parts of the world see. And so we just, uh, Lord, we thank you for that freedom, Lord, we pray for those who aren't as fortunate. Um, we just pray for their strength, Lord. We lift up our senior pastors. He's not feeling well, Lord. We just pray for healing in his body. And we just thank you so much for him, Lord, for appointing him as the head of this church under you, Lord. And, and just uh, we just lift him up. And we're so thankful for him. And we just pray for his, uh, Lord, his recovery. And Lord, we just pray for today's message as we go through some examples and Luke on, Lord, just even more reasons why you're so faithful and, and why we can trust you completely, Lord. We just thank you. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your love. Uh, Lord, even though we don't deserve it, Lord, you offer it freely. And again, just be with us during this time. We love you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So the last time uh, we met... Uh, in the youth room, we went through again uh, uh, the first part of Luke chapter 7. So there's a couple stories that I want to highlight and recap. One is a Roman officer that uh, Jesus really kind of highlighted his uh, faith. He, he, matter of fact, so much so that he mentioned it and said, man, this is incredible. So we see this beautiful story about a man that took Jesus for his word. And this wasn't somebody who was Jewish. This was what you could have considered the persecutor of the Jews. This is somebody who was, had status, who had a position in the Roman army. See, he had complete faith in Jesus' authority over sickness. He likened it to being, and if you remember the story, he kind of ties it into being in the military, which, which I, I can definitely connect with that. And, and he goes on to say that I understand your authority because I have people under me, and I can tell them, go do this, and you go do this. Go get me this, and you go get that, right? You, you say it, and the expectation is that it just happens. And he says, and I, and I see that in Jesus. He says, be healed, and that's just the way it is. They're healed. Complete authority over sickness. And again, he wasn't even a Jewish person. Also, if you remember, the officer had a change of heart. So in this story, he, he sends his servants to go get Jesus and say, Hey, I've got this servant that is sick and I, he needs to be healed. I, I really need him 
healed. So the servants, if you remember, pleaded almost with Jesus saying, man, if anybody deserves it, this guy does, please come and heal. And Jesus did. He said, okay, I will. But, but as he was going on the way, uh, what happened? The, the officer had a change of heart. The centurion had a change of heart. And he sent him servants back and said, actually tell him to hold on. You don't even need to come. I'm not even worthy of you being in my house. Just say the word and it will be done. And his faith was so incredible that, that it was even highlighted. That he said, I haven't even seen faith like this in all of Israel. He just believes. And it really, to me, especially having, and I've got seven kids. And if you know me, most of you know that about me. And for some reason, we decided after my youngest was 12 to have more, right? And then God blessed us doubly with twins. So now at 40, I've got twin two-year-olds running around the house not wanting to sleep. So when I read this, it kind of, as I was reflecting on this, and any parent probably can connect with what I'm going to say, is when they're so little like that, they just have a complete innocent trust in mom and dad. They want to stand on the back of the couch and jump. They do it because they know dad will catch me, but there's no other option. And, and they do. Sometimes when I'm not looking, then I feel terrible because I don't catch them and they fall. <laughs> But, but the point is, you know what I'm saying, that kids just have a complete trust in mom and dad. And, and I don't feel that way or I don't have trust that way in God, but we should. Right? The faith of a child, just knowing that there's no other option. God's faithful. He's promised. He says he's going to do something. He's going to do it. Like there's no other choice. And that's what this, this uh, Roman officer uh, it, where his thought was, and Jesus highlighted it. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And the encouragement is, and we're going to see some stories here today, and I hope and my goal is that you would be encouraged that you can trust God. You can trust him. You can trust his word. Matter of fact, he's the only thing in this world we can completely trust in that person that will never fail us and never turn their back on us. And finally, we wrapped up with another story that just, I'm a very visual person. Again, if you know me at all, you know this, and I know the youth know this well because I talk a lot about it. But when I read God's word, when I read the Bible, I like to stop and, and, and really picture the scene in my mind. And I don't know if anybody else is like that, but I really like to visually think about what I'm reading and try and place myself at that timeline in that position or in that scene. And so we see here in Luke chapter 7, verses 13 through 15, Jesus is at a funeral. And this is where we ended uh, the last time me and the youth uh, met and went through uh, Luke chapter 7. And it says there in verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart was overflowed with compassion. We're talking about uh, the person who had just lost somebody. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and he touched it. And so the bears stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. And the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. I love this passage so much because I've been to funerals. Most of us have probably been to funerals. Could you imagine the chaos that would happen if somebody came up and touched that thing and said, hey, quit, just get up, come on, let's, let's go. And then, and then they're back up. See, instantly he changed the tone of that funeral in only a way that he can. Not only is it amazing to think about what would have been like to be there, but it's also an encouragement for us today. That, not, that no matter how hopeless our situation is, 
Jesus is there. God is able to make a way where there seems to be no way. And that's in any situation in our lives. There is nothing too big for God. And he shows it time and time again in the person of Jesus during his ministry here in Luke. I love this story. D.L. Moody once was asked to do a funeral. So Mr. Moody was asked to conduct a funeral service. So he decided to study the Gospels. And and, and this is awesome, right? So, man, I'm going to study the Gospels. And I'm going to find a funeral sermon delivered by Jesus. Because that's going to be, man, that's going to be impactful, right? And I'm going to base my message at the funeral off that. And and, and people are going to just hear God's word. It's going to be awesome. And it says here that... Moody searched in vain because every funeral Jesus attended, he broke it up by raising people from the dead. He was the ultimate funeral crasher. How awesome is that? And that's not just something that we think about that, man, that would be cool, but he did it. We can read it. It's been verified by eyewitnesses. The ultimate funeral crasher. And God still raises people from the dead today. Because we are all dead in our sins. And only through placing our trust in who Jesus is and what he has done can we be saved from sin. Which leads not only to death, but also from eternal separation from God. Jesus showed this time and time again. I mean, if we would just, if if you ever, who here has ever read their Bible from Genesis to Revelation, not over the course of maybe 20 or 30 years, but maybe in a year, a year and a half, and in, in close proximity to where you kind of can, can follow the themes of the Bible. Has anybody ever done that? I would encourage you, if you have not, that there's something that, that you get when you do it that way. And you can read it in a couple of ways. One, you can start with Genesis and end with Revelation. And there's also, my wife has gone through a couple of times now and done it in chronological order. So it kind of, but it goes by order of events, right? Uh, whereas if you read it from Genesis to Revelation, sometimes there's a little bit of jumping, but it's all still one, um, one timeline. But if you read it that way, you start noticing themes. And it just reiterates, so you know what? God has been faithful from the very beginning, You'll read story after story where Israel has been so unfaithful. I mean, John's so great about going through this on Wednesday night as he's going through the Old Testament. We, we, we hear where Israel is blessed, and then they rebel, and then they were blessed, and then they rebel. And God never changes. Even today, his love is the same. And we see that again uh, today. And, and again, I want to point out that the good news today for you and for me is that God is a God of second chances. Amen. Thank God for that. Look at Romans 8, 38 through 39. Now I want you, as I read this, I want you to think about it and think about how confusing this passage is, or if it is, or if it's actually incredibly clear that nothing can separate us from God. Starting in verse 38, Romans chapter 8. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Is that confusing to anybody in here? Or is it abundantly clear that nothing can separate you from God's love? But so often we'll get in situations and we'll feel like maybe I've done this one too many times. How many people in here, how many of you in here understand what I'm saying when I say that? Maybe one too many times. Nothing on earth, in heaven, neither angels nor demons can separate you from the love of God. There is no other thing in this world that can offer hope like that. Nothing. And so moving in, so now that finally, that was, that was last time we met with you. So now we're moving into the, the message for today. And we're going to be looking at a couple of things. One, we're going to look at John the Baptist and some things that Jesus says that are really important for us to take away today. And the big thing is that we can trust. We can trust him. We can trust what he says. We can trust who he is. Starting in verse 18. So we're going to be working from uh, Luke 7, 18. And I think we're going to end around 35, hopefully, today. And starting in verse 18, the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples. And in verse 19, it says, and he sent them to the Lord to ask them, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for somebody else? And it's going to be really cool to see how Jesus responds because it's not going to be in the way necessarily that John was expecting. And we can see here that maybe there's a little bit of confusion about who Jesus was in John's eyes. And the reason that I say that is because he sent a couple of his disciples to ask questions that John probably should have already gathered from the information that they were telling him. And interestingly, again, Jesus will respond to John with what his followers had already been telling him. And it seems obvious at first, but it's an important, but it's important for us to gather because he's actually referencing the Old Testament in the way that he uh, responds. And again, we know um, that Jesus is repeating it because again, in verse 18 in Luke chapter 7, he says the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So he had already told them, hey, this is what people are saying. This is what people are seeing. So carrying on in uh, Luke 7, verses 20, John's two disciples found Jesus, it says, and he said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah that we have been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored the sight to many who were blind. See, Jesus was already known for the things that he was doing, for all the miracles that he was performing, and then he was doing it again when they were there. So let's see then how Jesus responds to this question. In verse 22, we see that. Then he told John's disciples, now go back, go back to John and tell them what you have seen and what you've heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Verse 23, and he added, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. So he tells John's followers, basically go back and repeat what you've heard and what you've seen. 
what they've already told uh, John. And he, what's interesting is he didn't directly answer what John was asking, right? He, he did it by just reiterating what he'd been already told. And the reason that that's important is because he's referencing something in Isaiah that we'll, we'll look at. And, but it can be really easy to miss just at first read. But it's really important because Jesus is, is many times establishing who he is based on the Old Testament, based on prophecies. And that's going to be important because we're going to talk about uh, prophecy just real quickly here in a second. So he's referencing then Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. And it says, And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. Almost, he's almost just repeating this. The lame will repeat, will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. Jesus' response to John is really, it's referencing this. In Isaiah 26, 19, it says the dead will live. In Isaiah 61, 11, the poor hear the good news. See, Jesus, the Messiah, had come to bring God's salvation. And that would be accompanied with miraculous power time and time again. And I don't know if it is for you. I'm sure it is. But for me, it's so hard to wrap my mind around people that are seeing this and still choosing not to believe. And that reminds me of prophecy. Prophecy is such an incredible reminder that God fulfills his promises. As a matter of fact, it's one of the, the signs that the Bible can be trusted. And God did that intentionally. It's almost as if prophecy is God's unique thumbprint to the world that shows that, hey, something's different here, something that is not possible. When we think about prophecy, does anybody know about how many Old Testament prophecies that could be considered Messianic prophecies point towards Jesus? Anybody, any idea, roughly? Anybody? 300 plus. I heard over 400 in the back. A lot. A lot of Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So let's look at the mathematical probabilities. And I think I've said this in here before, but it bears repeating because there's encouragement in this. God can be trusted. Prophecy is his unique thumbprint. If you look at the statistical, and they figured this out, a mathematician figured this out. What is the probability that one person fulfilled just eight of these 300 plus messianic prophecies? And the answer to that was 10 to the 17th power. Now, if you don't understand mathematics, maybe that doesn't make sense to you. And, and really, it doesn't make sense to a lot of people because it's such an incredibly large number. But if you were to liken it to something we can wrap our minds around, that would be similar to taking Does anybody know how big the state of Texas is? Can we start there? Big, right? It's huge. I, I lived there in 2019 to 2021 or so. Um, and it's, it's large. I mean, you can take a couple days to drive from one end to the other. It's a big state. So if you took the state of Texas and you lined it with silver dollars, you guys remember silver dollars? Filled the whole state of Texas with silver dollars two feet thick, two feet tall, silver dollars, whole state of Texas. You took one gold coin, threw it somewhere in the state of Texas on that two foot of silver coins, blindfolded somebody, told him you get one chance to pick one coin 
That is roughly 10 to the 17th power probability that they will guess it. Guys, it is impossible mathematically for one person to fulfill everything Jesus fulfilled. But God did that intentionally because he loves us. And he wants you to know, I am who I say I am. Another reason we can trust in who God is. So after John's followers leave Jesus, he focuses on John to the crowd. So he's basically before, while they're there, he's doing signs and miracles. He's responding to them saying, hey, basically go back, tell them what you've seen, tell them what you've heard, just as you have before. And he would have understood this too, because he's referencing again, Isaiah. And then he turns his attention to talk about who John is to the crowd. And we see this. In Luke chapter 7, verses 24 through 28. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see, he's asking there. Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of the wind? Or were you expecting to see a man in expensive clothes? No, people who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Maybe you were looking for a prophet. Yes, and he was more than a prophet. Verse 27 goes on to say, John is a man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, listen to this, I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. But it doesn't stop there. The verse continues. Yet, even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Wrap your minds around that. Jesus is affirming here. This, this guy's probably, of whoever lived, nobody had been greater on earth. But the least in the kingdom of God is greater still. And again, Jesus is referencing uh, the Old Testament in what he's saying here. This time he's speaking about a passage all the way from uh, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi 3, 1. Look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And Jesus quoted Malachi again here about the coming of John because the prophets themselves were not prophesied, but John was. And this is one way that he was greater than all the other prophets. See, John was steady. He wasn't shaken easily like a reed. Do we see that today? People that just, when the wind blows, their doctrine changes. Something's new, now I guess I believe something new. And we always claim it's in the name of self-improvement and I'm evolving. That's not the case. God's word doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. John was sober. He lived uh, in that he lived a disciplined life, not in love with luxuries and the comforts of the world. John was also a servant, a prophet of God. John was sent as a special messenger to the Lord. John was special in that he could be considered the greatest under the old covenant, the greatest person. But through all of that, John was second to even the least again in the kingdom 
under the new covenant. Of all the accomplishments, and this is, what I, this is the point I want to make here, of all the accomplishments that you or I could do here on earth, none of it matters outside of God's kingdom and his will. We spend so much energy here on earth focusing on things that have nothing to do with eternity. We spend so much time here on earth focusing on endeavors and projects and things that we're going to burn one day that we'll, won't remember in 10,000 years. But we neglect the very things that are truly important, the very things that have eternal consequences. Carrying on in Luke uh, chapter 7, verses 29 through 30, it says, When they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right, for they had been baptized by John. But Pharisees and experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. The very people who knew the Old Testament line by line couldn't see the Messiah standing right in front of him. And the same really is true for us today. Nothing has changed. It doesn't matter really how much scripture you know. It doesn't matter how many volunteer hours you've clocked in 2022. It doesn't matter how much money you put in the plate as a donation to the church and tithes. None of that really matters. The only thing that really matters is your relationship with God. Everything else is secondary but all too often, we spend so much time focused on the secondary, the tertiary, the fourth stuff, and not on the primary focus of our life, which is to worship and to serve a living and holy God. But even through all of that, God is still good. God is still faithful. God is still patient. God is still kind. But there's coming a day when the choices in this life are sealed, right? The day we close our eyes, we draw our last breath, the decision is now finally made in our lives on whom, in whom we put our trust in. See, God's wisdom cannot, be ju cannot just be rationalized intellectually or argued logically, but it is seen in the transformation of people practically. And how God changes life. This is what makes Christianity so unique. It so radically changes people. This is how we see Christianity explode in areas that it shouldn't. North Korea. China. Iran. Iraq. Turkey. Places that are extremely hostile. Places that if you become a Christian and, and it's seen, it's found out, that is a death sentence. You would think of all places in the world, those would be the places that Christianity doesn't exist. But those are the places that God's word thrives the most in face or in light of the most extreme persecution. That's because there's something different. God radically transforms people. Jesus radically changes people. Look at how God can radically transform people. Think about this. I, and I, and I, again, as I prepare for this, I think about this in my own life, in the mistakes that I've made, which there's been plenty, in the sins that I've struggled with, which there's been plenty. 
But I think about how God uh, can radically transform people that were once strung out on drugs. People that only live from needle to needle. That's all they knew. And some of you are sitting here today praising God because he is good and he radically changes. Or maybe those of us that have been hooked on pornography or held captive uh, in their pursuit of stuff, of things and anything other than a personal relationship with God. People with messed up marriages, hurting families, broken lives who are now radically changed, not perfect, but deeply changed. See, God's wisdom and love is seen in changed lives. It's not just a nice thought. But if you've ever, if you're sitting here today like me and God has just radically changed you and forgiven you and there's been a healing there that you can't explain, that you don't deserve, you understand what I'm talking about. It's something the world can't offer. Sure, we can cover it up, right? We can take worldly band-aids and we can stick it over to try and plug the holes in our heart. But what happens to those? They get wet and gross and fall off. And there's that hole still there. The only thing that can fill the void in our life, that, that pain that we can't understand, that we feel so deeply but we can't put words to, is God. He's the only thing that can fill that. So in this instance, in this case, when we see what Jesus is saying here, let the Pharisees argue all they want. The irrefutable fact is that lives were changed then and they're still being changed now. And we too so often get so distracted, just as a church, in interdenominational feuding. In, in arguments and saying, well, that person's wrong or that church is wrong and that church is wrong. And we start finding faults, but we lose sight of why we are all here. And what is the central reason that we are all here? What's the reason that we're here? To serve God and then and serve and to love God and then to do what? Tell people. We don't hold that gift to ourselves. We go out into the world. That has to be our focus on everything. Am I serving God? Am I loving God? Am I seeking him first? And am I loving other people? Pharisees had a really hard time with loving other people part. Really just love their own. And then they just love their own that performed the way they thought they should perform. Jesus goes on in uh, uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 31 and 32, and he says, To what can I compare the people of this generation? How can I describe them? Then he goes on, and again, I laugh when I read this because I, I picture this. They're like children playing a game in the public square, he says. They complained to their friends, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't weep. See, Jesus here is admonishing those who refuse to be pleased really in anything. Pleased in his ministry, pleased in John's ministry. How many of you can say uh, that you understand this? And, and uh, to be quite honest, if we're completely honest with ourselves, we may be able to say, you know, that's probably been me at some point. Or maybe that's me now. The idea that those who have a heart to criticize will always find something to criticize. I know that's been me before. 
Those who have a heart to criticize will always find something to criticize. Many people, see, wouldn't be pleased with either John or Jesus. Sometimes you can't, you just can't make people happy. Anybody feel that sometimes? There's somebody in your life or, or maybe it's even been you or me that you just can't make happy. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. You just can't make them happy. And again, maybe that's been me or you. Maybe there's just nothing anybody said. I'm just not happy. Doesn't matter what you say. Sometimes you just can't. And the truth of God is unwelcome sometimes by those who hear. And there's nothing you can say or do uh, to convince them otherwise. I love that saying that pastors said up here before. Convince someone against their will. And what? They're of the same opinion still. See, sometimes, and this is something the Lord's really had to work on my life, is uh, sometimes we think it's our responsibility to save people. And let me let you in on a little secret. You nor me can save anybody. That's God's job. All we can do is be faithful and love people. Love people. Be, be present. Be faithful. Be willing to reach out. And that's the hard part for us a lot of times is just reaching out to people, especially people we don't know. I was watching an interaction. Uh, this reminded me of this. I was watching an interaction uh, between, uh, this was a couple years ago, I think, now. But uh, there's a couple people that I like to just listen to and follow, and they're, they call themselves Christian apologists. And basically what that means is they go like from campus to campus, uh, and they just hold events, right? And they talk about uh, the Word of God and evidences to show that God can be trusted, and they just go through kind of the evidence of the Bible. And if you've ever been uh, here, who here remembers a guy named Charlie Campbell? Yeah, so we've had him here, same, same thing, right? Ten proofs that God's word can be trusted and um, evidence that Jesus was the Messiah and all that kind of stuff. So that's what they do, right? And they go campus to campus. And I was watching this interaction specifically with this one person. And he was, uh, I wouldn't say debating because he doesn't really debate. I love the way that this person uh, communicates with people because he doesn't argue. He just listens. And then he says, well, this is what the Bible says. It really doesn't matter what I think. I'll just tell you what God's word says. Right. And so uh, so they were talking and and this interaction lasted probably for about 10 minutes. And, and he concluded the conversation uh, with this statement. He said, let me ask you a question. If, if I could convince you 100 percent today. And so there would be no doubt in your mind that Jesus is who he says he was. And he's the only way to heaven. If I could convince you today, 100 percent of that, would you become a Christian? And the answer was no. Think about that. What's that person saying? If I could convince you today, so in essence, I showed you proof 100% that God is who he says he was and that he's the only way to get to heaven, would you become a Christian? No, I wouldn't. Some people just don't want God. The answer to them is just no. I struggle with that. That hurts. And if I'm to be honest, sometimes it's because what if that's one of my kids or my grandkids or my brother or my mother? But that's the result of free will, which we all have. All we can do, the only control we have is to pray, is to seek God ourselves, is to trust in the Lord, is to be an example, is to love our neighbor. Who is our neighbor? Is it the person that lives right next to me in my neighborhood? 
This is it. Guess what? When you're at Vons, you got a lot of neighbors right there. When you're in Walmart and you pass by that homeless person, you got a neighbor right there. We're called to love people. And the only litmus that we have, the only reference we have for how to love people is in Jesus and what he did and how he interacted with people. Going on uh, in Luke chapter 7, verses 33 and 34, it says, For John the Baptist did not spend his time eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he's possessed by a demon. Some of these very same things they said about Jesus, if you remember. In verse 34, the Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Bottom line here is they were judging John based on their expectations and what, and what they think they saw. It's one of the verses that I love that's really been uh, working on my, the Lord's been working on my heart uh, here in the last probably four months. And it's, it came from a message that I gave to the youth, but it's a passage that uh, we see this scene. And if you've ever watched the TV show, The Chosen, they kind of lay this out in there too, which is really kind of cool just to watch it visually. But that aside, just reading through the text and the scripture, uh, Matthew's uh, putting on this this dinner, right? And and there's these people here, these ex-prostitutes, and Matthew's a tax collector, and these people that the religious elite would have turned their eye at. They would have shunned, right? They would have put down. They would have thought less of it. And they came by, and they see this scenario, and they think, what are you doing with these people? Do you know who she is? And do you know who he is? Why are, why are you even around these people? And do you remember the response that Jesus gave? Do you guys, anybody remember? Talks about who needs a doctor. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And the sad thing is, those very people that were criticizing him were sick too. They just thought they were healthy. And maybe that's you and that's me. Maybe we think we're okay. But I promise you, if you're putting your trust in anything other than Jesus, you are not. I am not. Luke 7, uh, 35 goes on to conclude here in uh, at least the message for today. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. See, Jesus raised people from the dead. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus calmed the storm. Jesus finds the lost. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. And that's such a beautiful example of how much you are deeply loved by God. Is that he will, he will leave the 99 to come after the one. I talk about this in our youth because we have such this, we, we have a culture today in our society that, that really tries to lift up abortion and say that it's a fundamental right of women. And so we go through the passage in scripture with the youth that says, hey, did you know that God formed you together in your mother's womb? That he loved you before you were ever born. There's value that God already establishes before you ever come out of your mother's womb. We see this in, in the story of Jesus and, and Mary who's pregnant. And then we see John, right? What happens when she walks into the room? What's little John do in the womb? Jumps. Joy. Joy. 
So the good news today is you can trust in God. Do you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thinks they could trust in God? When there seems to be no way, they're thrown in this fire, and all of a sudden, there's a fourth person there. When this boy's laying in this coffin, and this child's laying in this coffin with the finality of death, and Jesus speaks, get up. Go back to your mother. When Lazarus drew his last breath, and he was dead for multiple days, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come back. But that's the same God that we serve today, or we can. It's the same God who loves us today. And we think that he can't help us in our time of need. We think that maybe this time he won't be faithful. The good news is that if you don't know Jesus today, and maybe you're listening online or you're here in service, you can. Trust in him, place your faith in him. Romans, I'll end with Romans 10, 9 through 13. And you can, uh, we can have the worship team uh, come, come up. I know we're about 10 minutes. We're a little fast, but that's okay. Romans 10, 9 through 13. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As scripture says in verse 11, as scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in the name, trust in him rather, will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have, uh, you know, uh, now there, we see this division in church that says Jesus isn't for everybody. That, that could look at people and say, and I've heard this and this breaks my heart. God didn't pick you. And I just, I'm sorry, but I just don't see that in scripture. I see this passage here. In, in Romans 10, that just gives very clearly, if you call on the name of the Lord, you declare that he's Lord, and you believe in your heart that you'll be saved. And that's the simplicity of the gospel. That's the simplicity of faith in Jesus Christ. We can so easily make things so complicated. And the danger is that we start adding to the scripture. I mean, we see this in, in the Bible. We see where people said, well, okay, I was going through Acts chapter 15 and 16, actually, at Stockdale Christian, and, and we're reading through a passage where at the beginning of Acts chapter 15, uh, they're told that uh, people were adding to the requirements of salvation. It was, well, yes, you can be saved, but also you have to be circumcised. And then you can be saved. And then we see the interaction there where they come back and they refute that. No. Well, does the Bible tell us the danger or does it tell us the consequence of adding to or taking away from Scripture? It does. It's very clear. I, I had another uh, interaction 
uh, with somebody in the last week who would take, uh, and then the conversation went around this, well, well, where did you come to that conclusion in the text? Well, I was reading uh, something and, and that added clarity. And that's the danger in that is we don't add anything from anywhere to God's word. We let God's word speak for itself. If the information is not here, we don't build theology on it. I can only teach what's here. I can't teach what's here plus in this book. It doesn't work that way. Because I can make God's word say anything I want it to say if I do it deceptively. Especially if I start pulling from other sources. And injecting it and adding it. Again, trust in him. And place your faith in him. And, and, and that really kind of wraps up this part of Luke chapter 7. And I hope that you're all as encouraged as I was, uh, you know, as I'm reading through it. And that God, man, he is so faithful. And it just, when we talk about the statistical probability of uh, prophecy being fulfilled, it's so incredible uh, that, that God went through such lengths to make sure that we were left without excuse. And as a matter of fact, we know that one day we will all stand before God. And what does he say? Well, we have a reason why we didn't follow him. He very clearly says that everybody will be left without excuse. He makes himself clearly known, clearly seen. And again, I would encourage you today that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can. It's no special prayer. You just have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he's Lord and that's it. If you have anything that you need uh, prayer for today, I would love to pray for you. Uh, we'll be up here. I'm here. John's here. I know he would love to pray for you. So just find one of us if you need prayer and uh, just be blessed as you go today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Lord, thank you so much just for, again, the freedom to be here and just the simplicity and the blessing and the beauty of your word. Lord, I ask that you would just bless everybody here this week, Lord. Equip us, Lord. And may we be intentional this week about looking for opportunities to love people. And that might just be asking somebody how they're doing. That might just be encouraging somebody. Maybe it's, it's, it's helping them. Maybe it's getting them food. Maybe it's just being a shoulder for them to cry on. And Lord, we can so easily complicate what it means to be saved. But you've made it so simple. You showed us time and time again that we can't keep the law. The law was just a mirror showing us that we needed you. And thank you for that. Lord, we love you. We praise your name. We lift up again, Pastor Mike. Lord, we pray for healing in his body and comfort. We just thank you for him. And each person here, so many people work behind the scenes tirelessly, selflessly. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.